Well, I'm glad that you were um, here to be a part of that worship because when you have an entire worship service that, that emphasizes the role of the Holy Spirit, I recognize that that might be somewhat abnormal. Uh, the Holy Spirit is like the forgotten part of the Trinity, but here's what we've discovered. The Holy Spirit is perhaps the most critical part of our faith in Jesus Christ. And so when we're talking about marriages in the series right now, what we're saying is that you and I cannot do the godly kind of marriage without the Holy Spirit. You're gonna see that theme more as we talk about the message today, but the hope is that now you have a heart and mind that is oriented towards the Holy Spirit, and now you'll be more apt to invite him into your marriage as the conversation goes on today, because the gospel is not the gospel without the Holy Spirit. So thank you guys for being a part of this. Uh, you know what, it is the, uh, it's the NFL playoffs, and I'm a Colts fan. Um, and so that has not proven out well for us right now, but I would suggest to you that the most valuable prize uh, in football is the opportunity of holding that Super Bowl trophy above your head. That'll be a day, and so even if your team, like the Colts, didn't even make it, you're still interested because of the competition. You're still interested because you love the idea of competition, you love the idea of victory, of championship, it's an incredible experience. But I would also suggest to you that the second most prized award in all of football is this thing called the Heisman Trophy. And so if you're familiar with the Heisman Trophy, what you have seen is a picture of a running back or somebody on the offense. And I wish I had a picture for you, but right now this current screen, which is not the only part of the screen we're getting, it would not do justice to the size, and so you're gonna have to settle for my rendition of the Heisman Trophy, which I'm not gonna do very well, okay? Okay, but here's the idea. Uh, the Heisman Trophy is the second most prized award in football because it depicts, it portrays the visual of a champion because a champion does two things at the same time. A champion pursues victory as much as he's able to, but at the same time defends that victory from everyone who wants to stop it. So if you envision, and you could Google it if you want to, the image of a Heisman Trophy, it's the runner sprinting towards the end zone clutching the football in one arm, but with the other arm, they're doing something else. They're doing the straight arm. You're familiar with this tactic. It's something that only somebody carrying the football can do. And the idea is simply this, as you're running towards the end zone, a defender comes to tackle you, you straighten your arm with all of the strength you have, you push against the defender, hopefully creating enough distance between you and the defender so that they miss the tackle. And if you can do this well enough, then you can run into the end zone, if not get at least a few more yards. So here's the point. To be an absolute champion, to really get the Heisman Trophy, it's not good enough to simply know how to hold the ball. It's not simply good enough to know how to run, to sprint, to be fast, to know where the end zone is. You also have to know how to use everything that you have with you, including the strength of your arm, to defend that victory by defending the ball itself. Because if you let that guy get to you, if you let him get close enough, you lose. So it's not only offense, it's also defense. It's the Heisman Trophy. What I wanna train us to do today is use something of a straight arm tactic to not only protect, to not only defend, but to lead our marriages towards victory. Jesus says something just like this. In Matthew chapter 19, there's a Pharisee who asked him a question. He says this, um, here's the question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Here's what Jesus says. Haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made the male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And then he says this, and the two will become one flesh. 
So they are no longer two flesh, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Here's what I want you to notice. God celebrates your wedding day. It's an incredible experience, isn't it? He celebrates the day you make a commitment before your family and friends, before God himself, and he says, we love each other from now on. The very next thing that God says is, defend it. The very next thing God says is, use a straight arm. Protect that thing. Because you might, with all of your heart, want to get to that end zone. With all of your heart, you might want to protect the nature of your marriage. But here's what God says. You won't be able to unless you defend it with everything that you've got. So use the straight arm. Here's what we're going to do today, guys. We're going to learn how to use the straight arm in our marriages, in our relationships, so that we can get that touchdown and protect the ball on the way to the touchdown. It's interesting. The language is very, very militaristic in nature. In fact, Solomon, when he writes Proverbs chapter four, here's what he says. Here's how you begin to do this, guys. He says this, above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows everything else. In fact, your version might say, keep watch over your heart with all diligence. Another version says, keep your heart with vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. It's very defensive in nature, isn't it? But it's also militaristic in nature. The same language used for guarding your heart was used to train soldiers to guard a city. If you can remember back in the day, there's the city that the people loved, but then surrounding the city was a wall. And every so often on that wall, they had guard towers. That was there on purpose so that the guards could protect the city from any threats coming inside. So if, if you love the city, this is your home, man. You go to the leaders and say, hey, put me up in that guard tower. I want to protect this city. They still wouldn't let you up there. Because honestly, they don't care how much you love the city. What they care about is how well you're able to protect the city. So if you get up in that guard tower and a threat comes, they're not asking you, how much do you love this city? What they're asking you is how well trained are you with the weapons necessary to protect the city? So they say, before I ever let you up there, I need to teach you how to use a sword and a spear and a shield so you can actually defend the city that you love. And so they start their training. But before they ever give you a sword, a spear, or a shield, they start training you with something else. They start training you to have the right kind of eyes. Here's the point. You, who cares how well you know how to use the sword, spear, and shield if you can't see the threats coming your way? Make sense? Do you know what happens when you don't have eyes trained to see the threat? It means you get distracted. It's the image you're aware of. It's the guard on duty with the sword, spear, and shield right next to him, and the threat is slipping right past him to ransack the city behind him. And so when he hears all the commotion, he's like, what's going on? What's happening around me right now? I never saw a threat. Now, if you're a guard on guard duty, is that excuse going to fly? Absolutely not. They would say, no, no, we trained you to see the threat before it ever comes. So when it starts its way towards you, you know how to use the sword, spear, and shield to defend us. Because I don't care how much you love the city. If you can't protect it, you're never going to be in the guard tower. Let me translate this for us. I don't care how much you say you want your marriage to thrive right now. What I care about is are you able to defend your marriage with the right tools? And even more importantly, do you have eyes to see the threats to your marriage well before the threat ever gets to your marriage? Does that make sense? Now, here's the question. Are you able to use the straight arm the right way? Are you trained to see with, think, with eyes 
the threats that are coming your way. So the reason I bring this up is a lot of us say after our marriage has fallen apart, we say, you know what? I didn't see it coming. And we use that excuse to blame somebody else, especially our spouse. We say, it's not my fault if I didn't see it coming. Actually, yes, it is, because you were supposed to be trained to have the right eyes to see the threats before they ever get there. So that's my question right now. Do you have eyes to see the threats? And then once you see the threats, do you have the tools necessary to defend your marriage so that you can continue to say, I love my marriage? Does that make sense? So how do we begin to do this? Well, you have to realize it doesn't start with your behavior. I want to take you to a passage right now. Listen to this. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 12. He says this, a good man, watch this, brings good things out of the good stored up, watch this, in him, in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Here's what Jesus is saying. I'm not so concerned about what's outside of you. I'm concerned about what's inside of you. So I think what we need to do is we need to shift our language a little bit. I want us to stop saying something until we're really good at saying something else first. A lot of us say, I want to protect and preserve my marriage. I really want to. We should stop saying that until we say something else better and first in saying this. We need to protect our heart first. And once you protect and preserve your heart, then the marriage will follow. Listen to what Solomon says again. Above all else, protect your marriage. Above all else, I mean, guard your heart. For from it flows the springs of life. Above protecting your marriage, guard your heart. Above protecting your parenting, guard your heart. Above protecting your career and your finances, guard your heart. Start there and the other things will follow suit. Because listen to what Jesus also says. This is Matthew 15. The things that come out of a person's mouth, listen to it, comes from the heart. There it is. And these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. So let me, let me pause. When I read the list of actions that Jesus says comes from an evil heart, what I read is a list of things that often destroy marriages. But what's interesting is if you look at the list again, Jesus never says, for out of the heart come evil actions. He doesn't say that. Here's what he does say, for out of the heart come evil thoughts. That's the problem. You're like, well, I've never murdered anybody. I've never murdered my spouse. My marriage is fine. No, no, because listen to what Jesus says. Murder first is a thought. He says, I've never committed adultery. Well, wait a minute. Jesus says adultery is first a thought. And this shouldn't be a surprise to you because when Jesus preaches his sermon on the mount, listen to what he says. You have heard that it was said, do not murder. But I tell you, if you look with somebody with, uh, with contempt and hate and you call them, you fool, you've already murdered them in your heart. Do you hear it? What about adultery? Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look lustfully at another woman, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. So let me ask you a question. Have marriages ever fallen apart, not because of an actual affair, but an emotional affair? Sure have. Listen, dudes, when you're on, on the beach with your wife 
and she sees your eyes tracking that girl from a mile down the beach all the way past you, do you think she's okay with that? It begins in the heart, moves to a thought, and sometimes it never even has to get to an action before it causes its damage. You're like, I've never murdered anybody before, but have you ever had contemptuous thoughts against your spouse? And under your breath, you say, man, she is such an idiot. Have you ever had thoughts beneath your breath to say, man, he is so dumb, what a fool, ever? Listen, guys, when, when you're hanging around the water cooler with the other guys or going to the bar or whatever like that, do you know what our go-to humor is? Criticizing our wives. I mean, it gets a cheap laugh, but man, it gets a laugh, doesn't it? And if we can't be funny any other way, we just kind of use our wives for a cheap laugh. Let me ask you something. If your wife was there to hear the joke, would she laugh with you? She might because it's awkward, but inside, how long do you think she's going to be willing to take that before the marriage begins to erode? And ladies, when you're with your girlfriends at lunch or something like that, and you're talking about your spouses, do you guys agree with each other about how dumb your husbands are? And by the way, if your husband was there, would he appreciate, would he feel respected by that? Instead, listen, guys, when you're with your other brothers, when you're with your friends, build your wife up. Say, man, she is the best wife ever. And I'm so proud of her. Look at what she does. And so you actually change the culture of your friendly conversations. And ladies, when you're with your girlfriends, don't talk about how dumb your husband is. Talk about how proud you are of him. Like, do you see what he's doing? I'm so proud. I get to be his helper. Does that make sense? Listen to what Jesus says. Listen, I'm sorry. The New Testament says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, except that for which is useful in building each other up. Jesus says this. You've said it. You've heard it said, do not commit murder. But I tell you that anyone who says you fool is in danger of the fire of hell. You've already murdered them in your heart. So when I look at this list that Jesus brings in Matthew chapter 12, I see a list of, watch this, not actions, but thoughts that have just as much damaging potential to a marriage as actions do. Do you see how real this is for us? This can get dangerous if you're not careful. So, by the way, this is what God destroyed the world for in Genesis with the flood. Have you read the story? Do you know why God destroyed the world? You're like, well, because it was so violent. That's what the Bible says. It's because there is so much evil in the world. And we think of that as actions and behavior, don't we? Listen to what God himself says before he brought the flood. He says this, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become. That's the violence, isn't it? That's the evil in the world. But watch this when you keep reading. He doesn't talk about actions. He doesn't even talk about behavior. Instead, listen to what he says. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart were evil all the time. What was God punishing in the flood? He wasn't punishing behavior. He was punishing a heart that became so corrupted that it produced thoughts that were evil all the time. He said, you know what? I'm just not getting rid of bad action, bad behavior here. I'm getting rid of a corrupted heart that has changed the very nature of humanity as I created it. Do you see how this works? So watch this. When Paul writes the New Testament, he will notice this theme. And when he writes to the Roman Christians, the Jewish Christians living in Rome, in chapter two, he will take this very theme and bring it to them. He says this, you are a Jew 
If you are a Jew inwardly, let me, let me stop if I could and change the verse if I can. Let me say it this way. You are a Christian if you're a Christian inwardly. And circumcision, let's change that too. And baptism is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. So, so if you say at this church, here's how we do baptism. And there's no other way to do baptism. And if you're not fully immersed, but you get sprinkled, you're not baptized. And if you're not baptized in a church building, but you get baptized in a pool, you're not baptized. Listen to what Jesus says. Listen to what Paul says. Baptism is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. Isn't it, a pro isn't it problematic when our policies on paper get in the way of the heart of God? And so if you want to get baptized right here in this church in our tank, absolutely, I'll celebrate that with you. But if you want to get baptized in a pool or in a river or a pond with some friends, family, and church people with you, I'll baptize you there, been there, done that. If you want to get baptized fully immersed underwater, that's awesome. That's my preferred method of doing it. But if you're like, you know what? I would much rather be sprinkled because I have an image in my mind of the grace of God being sprinkled over me. I'll baptize you being sprinkled. I don't care. Why? Because Jesus doesn't care. He says, no, no, baptism is a matter of the heart. So I'm not asking you how are you being baptized or where you're being baptized. What I'm asking you is what's the state of your heart when you get baptized? Does that make sense? Can I take that a little bit further? Let me rewrite this verse if I could. A Christian is one inwardly and church dress is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. At this church, we dress up for God. Where does the Bible say that? In fact, if I could counter that, let me say this. Here's what the Bible does say. The word of God does say. Man looks at the outer appearance, but God looks at the heart. So if you want to honor God, give him your heart. If you want to reach men, consider your clothing. In fact, Jesus, listen, this is crazy. Jesus actually speaks the opposite of this. In the New Testament, he says this. These people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. So here's the heart of God. I'm not so concerned about what comes out of your mouth or what you put on your body or the way you get baptized. What I care about is the state of your heart when you're doing these things. point I'm trying to make is this. When you and I look at our marriages and we say, you know what, there's, there's some problems here, there's some struggles here, there's some frustrations here, our natural inclination is to look at the behavior and say, stop doing that. What I'm studying right now in scripture is to say, that's not the place to start. Because if there's a behavior, listen to what we've just heard, there's first a thought that produced that behavior, but before that thought ever showed up, there was a heart and a certain condition that produced the thought, and then the thought produced the behavior. So what we ought to do is not just focus on the behavior, but re-engineer it, reverse engineer it and say, all right, what's the behavior that came from the thought that came from the kind of heart? This is, by the way, 
necessary because if we don't do this, what we'll experience is what is called behavior swap or addiction flip. Have you heard of this before? The idea is very simple. If there's a behavior that is troublesome, you can spot it and then you can say, I'm going to stop doing this. And you can put behaviors or practices in place to prevent that behavior from happening again. But if the heart that produced the thought that produced the behavior doesn't change, then what will happen is the heart will still produce the same thoughts. But because this behavior has been blocked, it will redirect itself to another behavior that's just as damaging. So it's not enough to say, stop doing the behavior, go back to the thought that produced the behavior, but before that, the heart that produced those kinds of thoughts. Does that make sense? That's where things get difficult. Because you and I can stop a behavior for a period of time if we're willing kinds of people. If we're a disciplined person, we can stop behavior. The problem is, how do you change your heart? In fact, If you've ever struggled with this, you might resonate with what Paul says. Listen to what he says. It's not on the screen, but just listen to it. He says this, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that's what I do. You ever feel this way before? Listen, I love my marriage. I want to preserve my marriage. But for some reason, I keep doing things. There's continued behavior It's not helping the marriage, but hurting it. And I hate those things, but why do I keep doing it? There's a battle raging inside of us, isn't there? There's my desires that wants the strong marriage, but there's there's something inside me compelling me to do things that hurt the marriage. So keep listening to what Paul says. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it. Listen to this. But it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not live in me, that is, in my sinful nature. What has Paul just said? Paul just said that you've got the same problem that Adam and Eve had. Your nature has been corrupted. You know what that means? Your heart has been corrupted. So the sinful nature that lives inside of you has corrupted your heart so that it's more natural for you and for me to produce ungodly kinds of thoughts, especially in our marriage, And then it's more natural for us to produce ungodly kind of behaviors. And so, yeah, man, when I get angry, I get angry. And I wish I wouldn't get that angry with my spouse. But my goodness, there's something in me that compels me to be that angry. And yeah, I know that that addiction's not healthy. I would want to stop that right now. But something in me compels me towards that addiction. And I just know how damaging it is to my marriage. Why do I keep doing this? So it's the state of our heart that's corrupted by sin that's producing all of this mess. And so keep listening to what Paul says. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Have you ever felt that frustration? For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. For if I, now if I do what I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good for my marriage, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight, this is my paraphrase, in a godly marriage. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a slave of sin at work within me. That's a problem, isn't it? So the question is not, how do I stop a bad behavior? The question is not, how do I change to good behavior? The question is, how do I change this sinful nature in me that produces all of it? 
That's where it gets difficult. And so watch this. Here's what he ends with. He says this, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Says this, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know what this means? When you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, there's a switch that goes off in our hearts. Our heart that was so consumed by the sinful nature that produced evil thoughts and produced evil behavior, all of a sudden, that heart begins to change. It goes from being stone cold to now there's a bit of life coming from it. It's warming up. And the longer you walk with Jesus, watch this, the more your heart becomes aligned and alike to the heart of Jesus Christ. And the longer you live, your spouse will look at you and be like, you know what? What's changed in you? You're not doing that behavior anymore. You're not getting so angry anymore. You're not so addicted to that thing anymore. What is happening in your life? And you're like, well, you know what I... I I guess it's just Jesus because all of your effort to change your behavior, if you're anything like me, has always fallen short. And so what I need is the spirit of God who we sang about earlier to come into my heart and reorient it and give it life again. And the more you walk with Jesus, the more you will see this thing happen. And so how do we start to do this, guys? The first thing you need to do First thing you now need to do is to get a new heart. It's not something that you can do for yourself. It's something only Jesus can do for you. But here's the promise. Listen for it. Here's what he says, Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit that I will put within you. He's not saying here's a new list of behaviors you've got to prescribe to. Here's a new list of behaviors you've got to follow or you're going to hell. He says, I'm going to put a new heart in you so that our behavior flows from this new heart. Therefore, he says this, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. You need a new heart. You need to ask Jesus, though, to get that new heart. Once you have a new heart, here's number two. You need to train your eyes to see the threats. Just because you have a new heart doesn't mean that Satan's not attacking you anymore. In fact, now that you have a new heart, you're getting attacked even more because he wants to keep that heart for himself. And so now that you have a new heart, train your eyes to see the threats before they come close to your marriage. Here's what Hebrews 5 says, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Here's my question. Spiritually speaking, what kind of food are you eating? Some of us have been Christians for years. And we're still eating spiritual milk. Time to grow up. You need solid food because that's food for the mature. The more mature you get spiritually, the more able you are to see good from evil, spot the threat. So watch this. Perhaps the best thing you can do for a healthy, strong marriage is begin to eat solid spiritual food. What is that? I don't know about you, But if all I do is drink milk over the course of a week, I'm pretty hungry. I need something more than milk. I need some chicken. I need some Chipotle, yeah? Maybe some Ruth's Chris. No, can't afford that one. 
I need some solid food. And so I, I, just, I just can't go to church on Sunday. That's milk, by the way. I need to let scripture pour over my life every single day. No, 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 I, I, I don't need to read scripture. I need scripture to read me. It's called Lectio Divina. It's where you let scripture read you. And I don't just need to read scripture. I need to pray scripture. And so when I see scripture that says something like this, therefore in Christ you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I don't need to just read that. I need it to read me and say, okay, I do need a new heart. I need the old to go away and the new to come. And then I pray it and I say, Jesus, I pray that my heart will continue to be renewed in you and that your spirit will take more and more resonance in my life. And so push out all of the old and invite all of the new. It's solid food, and the more I get solid food, the more I can see the difference between good and evil and protect my marriage. Here's number three. You need to take some prisoners. As soon as that shows up, you don't just say, let's have a conversation. You don't say, why are you here? You take prisoners. You don't ask questions. You just take prisoners. Listen to what the Bible says. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to the Lordship of Christ. Remember, it's a heart that produces thoughts, that produces behavior. Whenever that thought shows up that's ungodly, we say, nope, you don't belong in this city. You take captive every thought and make it obedient to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Listen, listen to what Jesus says. Listen to what Paul says, Philippians 4. Whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Do you hear the language? Take prisoners. It's not enough for you to say, I see you. Jesus says, do something about it. Take action and take your thoughts captive. Book of Genesis you know the story, there's Adam and Eve, right? They have two sons, Cain and Abel. If you're not familiar with the story, Cain and Abel, they're brothers. At one point, both Cain and Abel make a sacrifice to God. The Bible says that God accepted Abel's sacrifice for his pleasing to him, but Cain's sacrifice was unaccepted. We can go maybe in church unscripted into why that was true. Regardless, Cain gets upset, jealous, frustrated. So what does he do? He gets angry at Cain or at Abel, wants to kill him. God shows up and he says, Cain, why are you so angry? If you do what is right, your sacrifice will be accepted. But if you do what is wrong, listen to the warning. Sin is crouching at your door. And its desire is to have you, but you must master it. What kind of enemy is crouching at the door of your marriage? Listen to what God says. If you do what is right, your marriage is protected. But be careful because sin is crouching at the door of your marriage and its desire is to have your marriage. It doesn't mean to hang out with you. It doesn't mean it wants to enjoy your presence. What it means, it wants to destroy your marriage. But you must master it. It begins by getting a new heart and then training your eyes to see the threat. And then once the threat shows up, you take it captive. 
and make it obedient to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna pray for you. And I wanna ask that the Holy Spirit so empowers you to see the threat and then to take them captive. So Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to get to know your heart and your mind. And I pray for every marriage in the room, not only those who are currently married, but those who will be married, even those who were married, that we still take the principles in this message and we apply it to our life because it doesn't matter if we're married or not right now. You still call us to a new heart. And so Holy Spirit, give that to us. You still call us to see the threats that want to destroy not just our marriages, but our faith, our purity, our righteousness. And so I pray that you will give us the eyes to see that. And then I pray you will give us the power to take those thoughts captive, to not just protect our marriages, but to protect ourselves. So Father, thank you for the invitation you've given us to a holy marriage today. And I pray for freedom in the room. The Holy Spirit, you will set those free who are right now in bondage to an addiction, in bondage to a thought process, in bondage to a stronghold that Satan has put in their life that they seem to not be able to escape. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you will set them free in the name of Jesus so that they can run towards you along with their spouse and be saved. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.